good to be with God's people. No place I would rather be. What a wonderful, wonderful opportunity to reach out to God and for God to reach out to us. Amen. Turn to somebody and smile and tell them they look awesome standing beside you. They look better since they're standing beside you. Amen. Thankful for all that are here today. What a, what a blessing to have a church family that cares for you. And if you're in the midst of people that care, I'm thankful for that. I want to say from the depth of our heart, our family, uh, how grateful we are for the many prayers and the kind words that have been said to our family this week. Uh, the loss of our brother, God, has been with us, and we're thankful for that. I don't know what people do that don't have the Lord, and I don't know what people do that don't have a church family that cares. Amen. I'm thankful for Greater Life Church. Thank you for being here. Our young people can slip out to their class very quietly while they're going. I want to welcome to this pulpit this morning Brother Jason Watts, a great young man who is starting a work in Allen, Texas, which is a suburb of Dallas area, and a longtime friend, his father-in-law, one of our close friends for many, many years. We're delighted to have him here. Greater Life Church, let's open our heart. This is not the end. This is just the beginning, the Word of God. The most important thing that's happened today is about to happen. Amen. Let's clap our hands and give him praise. Here we go. How about that? Technology is a wonderful thing, isn't it? <laughs> Praise the Lord. God bless you so much. How many are glad to be in the house of the Lord this good Sunday morning? The worship, just the atmosphere, the spirit of God in this place is so good. Turn to somebody and say it feels good in here. It does, doesn't it? God bless you so much. You can be seated in Jesus' name. It was uh, my wife. And I were talking this morning. She said, how long has it been since you've been here? I said, I'm not sure. I, I forgot if it was even this year or last year. And she looked it up real quick. She said, October 13th of 2013 you preached. I thought, wow. <laughs> Pretty good for her to have that marked down somewhere. And I believe that that weekend, uh, not many of you were here. You guys were, the marriage were all taking a rendezvous to uh, Branson, Missouri that weekend. So we all stayed back here and tried to keep the ship going while you guys took off and had a good time. So I've not met uh, all of you, and if I get to shake your hand, a few before service and hopefully many more after service, uh, I told my hand jokes prior, so I'll save you those. i got to keep those fresh for somewhere else, but this is the result. My hand accident about four years ago from not making sure that the lawn mowing blades were completely stopped, reached up, and they weren't stopped, and since that time I've had, uh, well, right after that, had, had seven surgeries, and uh, eight, eight surgeries total, seven within seven weeks, and I've just gone on and rolled with it, and I have fun with it, and I, I use that finger, it's a nub, I use it to thump my kids on the head. 
and I see me come, I said, you better stop me. They start backing away from the finger. And it's all a matter of how you present it. If I'm playing with him, I can hold him down and just pop my son in the head. He laughs, and it's hilarious. But if I'm getting on to him, one little tap, and he's, it hurts, Dad, you know. All of a sudden, it hurts. But since that's happened, I found myself being more drawn to secondhand stores than I ever have been before. But I still can't, still can't find much. <laughs> that's a new one. How's that one? I had to Google some new hand jokes. I get tired of using the same ones myself. I mean, but if they're new to you, they're okay, though, right? Praise God. Bless you so much. I love being among the people of God. I love to worship with you. And I hope today, in the next few moments, I can be somewhat of a blessing to you. It's by God's mercy and grace we're here today. Amen? How many are glad for God's mercy and for God's grace in the house of the Lord? Praise God. Praise God. Thank you so much for the opportunity to be with you, Brother Hughes. I enjoyed chatting with you, talking to you, and uh, appreciate the time to be with you this weekend. Bless you. If you got your Bibles, let's go to Ephesians chapter 4. And if you do stand, that's all right. Ephesians chapter 4 and drop down to verse number 21. I'm going to read a few verses of Scripture there. Praise the Lord. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 21, starting there. Paul, writing to the church in Ephesus, referring to an event that's taken place with these people and to exhort unto them, he says this, If so be that ye have heard him, speaking of Jesus, and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off, someone say put off, concerning the former conversation, the old man, put off the old man, which is corrupt according to the deceitful lust. Tommy can testify and say amen to that. Our flesh. And be renewed in the spirit of your mind that you put on. Someone say put on. The new man, which after God is created in righteousness and true holiness. Paul here is speaking to a church. Not those who have never heard the message, but... He's speaking to those who have already heard this. That's the case with all the epistles. We can't find in the epistles of how to get saved and what to do to be saved. Uh, But it gives us instruction now that we are saved. Here's how we can serve God and how we can have changes take place. And the change that Paul is talking about here, he's speaking of a transformation that takes place. He's talking about somebody Being converted. Somebody say conversion. I'm going to preach for a little while this morning on this idea. Hang with me for a while in the very beginning to set some some groundwork perhaps. And that is the theory of conversion. The theory of conversion. If you will, is this all right? Lay your Bibles down. Lift your hands, your voice one more time. Let's just ask God. You've done so wonderful already. But just give God some, some more calling to him, asking him to bless and touch this morning. In the next few moments, Jesus, we ask you, Holy Ghost, to open up our hearts and minds, Lord. I believe there always has to be some conviction take place. Just convict our hearts, convict our minds and spirits to draw closer to you, to be hungry for you, Lord, your word, your truth, oh God. In the name of Jesus, we call upon you. We invoke, Lord, 
your mercy and grace in this house this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Praise God. Bless you so much you can be seated this morning. That word converted is not an isolated word in Scripture. Jesus spoke it. Matthew records him saying it. And he said, unless you be converted, except you be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter the kingdom of God. Can he get any more plain when he speaks those words? Acts chapter 3, to onlookers of the miracle of a lame man, the words are spoken, repent therefore and be converted. Somebody say converted that your sins may be blotted out when the times of refreshing shall come from the presence of the Lord. Now, when we speak of that event, that word conversion, a simple definition of that word means a change of attitude, emotion, or viewpoint from one of indifference or disbelief to one of acceptance faith, or enthusiastic support. It is that when someone had no care, were very indifferent, did not mind to put an opinion or to work for something, they've been converted and now they've switched over to being very enthusiastic about their support. They are very accepting of this newfound faith. And the definition goes on to say, especially such a change and a change of in a person's religion. But then a bit deeper it means that there's a change of character, form, or function. That is to say it's not just a new set of ideas that someone begins to support, but something has happened on the inside that becomes evident and fruitful, if we say it that way, on the outside. It's not just accepting some rules or ideas or some thoughts, but it's something that's taken place on the inside that causes a change to take place also on the outside. Somebody say, I get that this morning. When one has been converted, there's been a transformation take place in the mind, uh, in the spirit, and as I've mentioned, also uh, in the body. John chapter 3, uh, Jesus speaking to Nicodemus, uh, speaks of this conversion. He hints on uh, this idea when he says that unless a man is born again, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. He cannot see the kingdom of God. We use that to say he won't visually see it, but deeper meaning is you cannot comprehend, like to say, I see what you mean. It means you can conceptualize. I can get the idea. You cannot understand the things of God. Scripture reveals where Paul says to the Corinthians that a natural man receives not the things of the spirit. Uh, there's got to be something take place uh, on the inside for you begin to understand uh, and comprehend uh, the things of God.
God. So I would say right away, how many are glad this morning that you've experienced a conversion in your life? You know what I'm talking about. Chains begin to take place in your life. Things that you used to do, how many can testify about it? You don't do them anymore. Places you used to go to, you don't go there anymore. The way you used to live is former. You put the old man off and you put on a brand new man. You've had a change take place in your life. And do you understand the emphasis Scripture's making? It is an absolute conversion. It's a transformation. You still like the same foods. You like the same colors. You enjoy the same style of things. You're the same person as you were before. But somewhere, your allegiance and your loyalty to the things that matter most in your life has taken a complete turn. You were indifferent to things. Now you support those things. Some of you I know could probably tell stories. I didn't like this. I didn't want that. That, uh, but something took place in my life. Uh, I've been converted, uh, and now I find myself uh, doing the things I never thought I would do because you've been transformed. Somebody say amen. We've got to understand this, that when somebody comes to God, a transformation is to take place. Now, the title, that word theory, that word holds some significance. The definition of the word theory is a coherent group of tested general propositions commonly regarded as correct and true that can be used as principles of explanation and prediction for a class of, of phenomena. So when we use that word theory, perhaps the most uh, probably one you could easily identify with is the, the Darwin's theory of evolution, that it cannot be proven. It cannot be absolute. It cannot be proven as much as saying there's a pulpit in front of my body right now. It's based upon a theory. It all goes back to we think this is how it happened, and if this is true, then this is true, and this, this, this. And over time and years, it became regarded as correct and the right explanation, but it's all based upon just an idea or a theory. Somebody say, I get that. So I want to make it clear that when somebody comes to Christ, when they confess their faith in Him, that Scripture reveals begins believing way down in their heart. Scripture tells us upon the confession of our faith, it does not stop. There's this all right this morning, that we are not supposed to just say a prayer and believe and say we're done, but Bible emphatically reveals time and time again that repentance is supposed to follow our faith. That is, we come to Jesus at an altar, in your car, at your home, anywhere it can take place, and we ask God to forgive us of our sins. But repentance goes further than just that. We don't just ask God to forgive us of our sins. We are supposed to put our very best 
effort into not doing those things anymore. Asking God to forgive us but keep on doing the same things is really not having an act of repentance. We're asking God for permission. Forgive me of doing this, but would you please allow me to keep on doing it? But how many realize that when you repent of your sins, it's like a death taking place. The scriptures say mortify the deeds of your body. Put that old man down because I want to reveal this to you that you know probably already. The old man will always be right behind you, always trying to get you to come back into the same place you were prior to. But after I repent, I am to be buried, Romans 6 reveals. In baptism, it's like I died, now I get buried. Jesus died, he was buried. I am baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. How many are glad this morning you understand what it means to get baptized? How many are glad your sins are not just forgiven, but your sins are washed away? How many are glad to say, I've done wrong, somebody understands? this. I've done wrong. I've done bad. I got a whole list. I got a rap sheet of things done wrong. But thank God I found my place at an altar. I asked God to forgive me and he was gracious enough and good enough to do so. And the greatest thing is that he washed my sins away. How many are glad about that this morning? Touch somebody and say, my sins are washed away. Upon the confession of our faith, repentance, baptism, and scripture, it's a promise. And we got to seek for it. But we are promised to be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Aren't you glad this morning that you've been filled with the Holy Ghost? That Jesus Christ has taken up residency inside your spirit. You got his very spirit, the Holy Spirit, living inside of you. And that gives you power to overcome things in the past that can bring you back down. How many are glad about it this morning? So, the change that takes place, it may seem when someone begins to see your life take different directions. Some might attribute that to a theory only. That they say, well, he believes this and this, and therefore, if she thinks that's true, then she's got to do this and that, and he can't do this. And to many, it may seem like it's only a theory or an idea or some rules to live by or some guidelines to follow. But somebody give testimony in this place this morning that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's not just a theory. It's not just a belief. It's not just some rules and guidelines. It's not just me trying to be a better person. But I know... I have had a transformation take place. I could not live this way. I could not do these things unless I got some greater power inside of me. It's not just a theory. It's not just an idea. But this is an experience that's taken place. I have been born of the water, born of the Spirit. I've had transformation take place inside of me. Somebody give God a good praise right there. Hallelujah. 
And now that we have been born again, we know for a fact, as Scripture teaches and, and reveals, it's happened to us also. We've been filled with the Holy Ghost. We've been born again. We now have come into a group. We find ourselves coming to church, perhaps, and that's part of it. Your pastor said, how can somebody function and live without a church, without the body of Christ? That's what we come into. We come into uh, the body uh, of Christ, a group uh, of people. How many are glad to be in the church this morning? There are theories of power. As a dictator influences even a religious leader, can have influence upon individuals, a group, to where it even becomes cultic, to where this man can lead them and, and speak to them. And they have taken every word he says as being truth, uh, to where anything he says they'll follow. You know what I'm talking about. I'm 42 years old. I think it was 1978, so I was just six or seven years old. And you can probably, many of you recall uh, Jim Jones in, in Ghana, Jamestown, or Jonestown, sorry. And uh, later than that, in the 90s, just not far over in Waco, David Koresh was somebody who was able to influence people to take up arms and to fight, no matter what the view might be of what happened altogether, the fact he had influence upon people in his group. And there's a man by the name of Herbert Kelman, who's a social scientist, and he identified three basic reactions that people display to this kind of influence, if we call it coercive or negative influence. And here is his theory of how people become converted to follow somebody to the point they will do anything that the power holder asks them to do. He says the first phase or first stage is that of compliance. Members comply with the power holder's demands, but they do not personally agree with them. That means that when they're in front of the power holder, when they're around the group, they will abide by and act the part to they're just complying with it. They don't got it really for themselves. They're just going along. That makes some sense, doesn't it? They, they comply with the power holder. They don't really agree with it, so their public life is different from their private life. He says the second phase where they move into getting deeper is that of identification. The compliance of the group members to the power holder is motivated by a desire to imitate and please the authority. So now actions and values and characteristics, things that the group does that follow the power holder, this man that has such influence or is becoming more influence in their life, those things are now mimicked. They copy those things that They've moved past compliance. Now they're doing it more of their free will, even outside of the group. But Kelman says this, that in those first two stages, 
drastic and, and, and eventful, monumental orders that can change one's life and change their, their direction to, and, and most eventually down the road into a negative thing taking place. Those two categories of compliance and identification is not enough. But he says the third stage or phase is that of internalization. Now the group members follow the orders and the advice of the power holder because those demands become congruent and equal and same with their own personal beliefs and goals and values, if we use the word even convictions, to where now they will live this out, even when they're not around the power holder and not around the group. They have internalized these things deep enough to where they've got it for their own selves, and the power holder does not have to check on them, touch base with them, keep an eye out for them. He knows he's got them to a place, they're mine. Anything I say, they'll do it. They believe it here, they believe it out there. I've got them where I want them to be. And that is how a man can bring them to do the things we spoke of, to take their own life, take others' lives, believe even ideas and doctrines or teachings that are completely made up and of theory, of course, and bring them to a place to where they lose almost their own identity and take on the identity of the power holder. How many realize that when you do put your faith in Jesus Christ, that what he did is real and true for you. He died upon the cross. He was buried, but on the third day he rose again. The Bible says he showed himself alive by many infallible proofs by a time of 40 days. And then he ascended back to heaven. And as we spoke about, when someone believes that, they are to repent, be baptized, and receive the Holy Ghost as revealed in Scripture. And that when that takes place, uh, you come into the body of Christ. Uh, you come into a group. Uh, and I want you to understand this, uh, that there is uh, a head of this group. Uh, there is an influencer of this group. Uh, it is Jesus Christ. Uh, he is the power holder of uh, the body of Christ. Uh, he is the one who wants to influence us. He's desiring us to take up his ways, his actions, his characters. He wants us to begin to do anything that he would ask of us. And the beautiful thing is everything he ever would ask of us or speak of us to do is only for my own good. It's not to benefit him even. It's not to benefit someone else's agenda. It's all about coming under the influence of him because he is the ultimate power holder. Somebody get that, say I do. But for this to happen, that initial transformation has got to take place. So here I say, hang with me and, and hear me out on this. There is another conversion, I believe, that takes place in one's life after coming into the body of Christ. It is continual. 
you might not see the person converts overnight, if we put it that way, or in a few weeks. Uh, what I am learning, I was told this, Brother Hughes, uh, never say, I have learned, blah, blah, blah. Always say, I am learning. That sounds good. It means I'm still trying to get there. But if I put somebody through a six-week or ten-week discipleship class, which is good and needful, at least my experience is they probably are not completely all the way fully converted over. Because it takes a whole lot more than one hour a week for several weeks for somebody to completely turn their identity over to another. And so... This is where the theory of conversion comes in. Now I'm speaking of the power holder being Christ uh, and the group being the church. Uh, and you got a good church to go to here. I don't mean the building, though it's a phenomenal building. I look and I get envious in a good way <laughs> and think, wow, I want to look forward to having this. Uh, I mean you are part of the church uh, from the day of Pentecost uh, until this day. Universally speaking, all around the world, you are part of this group. Somebody say amen. And what happens is, in the theory of conversion, it begins with compliance. You may not personally agree with everything that is shown to you. You may not fully comprehend the demands or the requests of the power holder, that is, Christ. However, because you know there's been a massive initial change take place, you begin to follow those things and you do those things. Is this all right? But perhaps away from the group, away from others, you might still hold on to some things of your own. Does that make sense? We are frail. We are fallen. We are finite beings. And so sometimes we begin to kind of hold a double standard. I'm not saying a complete act of hypocrisy, but around the group we kind of abide by some things. But away from the group we kind of do our own thing. Does that make some sense this morning? And I would look at that years ago, Brother Hughes, and think, you should not do that, blah, blah, blah. But now I'm quite happy, i got to say. After 11 years of where we were and now starting a whole new adventure, how much I appreciate the idea that they want to, at least around the church, kind of comply with some things. I see that as a beautiful thing. They're complying with the power holder, Christ. But here is a thought. It, the hope that one does not always live a life of compliance only, but that they begin to identify that second phase. They begin to grow closer to the Lord. And they begin to comprehend some things they had not seen before. That they desire to mimic the power holder, not just in front of the group, but now they don't mind being identified with him, even when they're not around the group. Because now they begin to see some things, and it takes some time. Are you getting a hold of this right now? It takes some time, and they're not a ashamed or afraid to be identified as one of his followers. But they still have not gone far enough to where Jesus really wants us to be. 
And I would say to you that the last stage that Kelman presented of how somebody can become so influenced by another that they will give up their own rights, that they give up their own ways, give up their own ideas, uh, and they begin to follow after that. That ultimate goal uh, is to uh, internalize. And in the church, uh, I feel it's the exact same thing, that somebody gets so close to God uh, that they've put effort into studying uh, and to living. uh, And you know, some things, I feel this way, sometimes you will not understand fully uh, why the Word of God says that uh, until you start to do it. Uh, If you'll just do it out of obedience, uh, don't get me wrong, I want to know why, 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 why. I understand that. Uh, But when I can't fully comprehend why he would do that, uh, I only come to the understanding of uh, I might not fully understand everything, uh, but I cannot deny uh, that it's still uh, in the Word of God. Uh, And so what I will do uh, is begin to obey that uh, and live that, uh, and I can tell you uh, that down the road, uh, things begin to open up, uh, and I say, had I never started doing this, uh, I never would have understood why I do this. Uh, So there's a blessing uh, in just simply being obedient to the Word of God. God. You believe that? Clap your hands this morning. So now we no longer have to always be monitored, told what to do. Think about how I live outside of the church, what we call our everyday life. <laughs> To say my church life and then my everyday life. Now, I don't knock that. I understand what someone means. You drive to work, you eat your food, etc. You don't always walk around in total spiritual bliss. If you do, please come lay your hands on my head and pray for me that I might too receive that gift. Otherwise, uh, I understand what that means. Uh, But what if we did internalize this truth uh, to the point uh, to where I make no distinction uh, between how I live at church uh, and in front uh, of the group, uh, but I've got this thing uh, down deep inside of me to where what you see me do in the church uh, is what you see me do uh, outside of church. You see me pray here, you'll see me pray out there. You see me smile here, I'll smile out there. How I look, how I act, how I speak, how I live. It's not just compliance. It's not just identifying. I have internalized this thing. Oh, somebody get a hold of this this morning. Musicians can come if you would. Some singers Here's my thought to you this morning. What God wants to do, and please understand this. Give me, do come and give me a second more. But I want you to understand something. It is absolutely biblical. It is right and perfect for you to be in the church and for you to have a pastor in your life. But make a distinction that your good pastor is not the ultimate power holder in your life. 
So when he brings you truths, uh, when he reveals to you the word of God, uh, don't for one second uh, think you have to conform uh, to his ways and his ideas and his interpretations. Uh, but what he is doing uh, is revealing unto you uh, what the power holder would have you to do. Uh, if you can get your eyes uh, on Jesus uh, and say, Jesus, uh, if that's what you got for me, uh, I'm going to do it. Uh, if that's what you want me to do, uh, I will do it. Uh, in fact, I will completely lose myself uh, in trying to become more like you. Uh, your truth, uh, your values, uh, your character is what I want uh, to be manifested in my own life. Uh, I very much uh, want people to ask me, uh, what's different about you? Uh, why do you act that way? Uh, how come you don't talk like this? Uh, what I want someone to know, uh, I have been transformed and converted. It might take some time. It might take a while. But you keep on watching me and how I live now will not be how I live a year from now. It wants to be the where I begin to internalize this truth. Let's stand to our feet this morning, can we? Has this made some sense this morning? So I would venture to say, you know, I don't, I don't mind preaching out. My wife says, quit saying preaching out and say evangelizing. It sounds more official. <laughs> I don't mind it. I, I've been very, very, very blessed. Beyond, beyond what I thought, staying busy, people have been very gracious to me. But here's something I really enjoy about evangelizing preaching different places. And that is, I don't, I really don't know you. I don't know your life. I don't know where you are in your walk with God. And I don't, I don't come in, I'm not, I'm, I don't know what tag they put on. I want to come in and dig and plow up and bust up and then leave it for you to clean up. And I, you know, I, I tore it up. I don't, I'm not, that's not me. But I do want to be a and trying to get somebody or the entire body, local body, to move in the way that God wants them to move. So in a church with this, this good of a number of people here today, I, I probably would be accurate to say some of you are still in the compliance stage. Some are in the identification stage. And there are some that probably are... I don't know if I can ever claim I completely haven't. I know I'm talking about completely internalized, but otherwise, pretty much I have. Does that make sense? I hope I have, but I'm still growing, you know. And I say that, and I, I commend you for that. I, I celebrate with you. And that is that there's always room for the next step. There's always room for the next level. There's all, we can always go deeper, higher, whichever you want to say it. If you're in a compliance stage, God bless you. May God honor you. May God bless you for the life that you are coming into, that you would, you know what, if that's what God wants, I, I, I'll do it there. And I, it's just kind of testing the waters. Years ago, I would have not liked that. I would have said, no, you jump in head first, you give it. I understand some things differently. It might take some time. But here's what I love. After compliance, we come to identification. 
after identification, there's still room to go further to internalize this. And the great thing is I always have some room to get closer and become more like him. We don't pray to, we don't lift up or deify the apostle Paul, but he sure is a good example. And Paul says, not that I have attained everything, but I'm still going after it. And if I, if I do half the things Paul does, I, I think I'd feel pretty good. And here's a man. If we look at him as a real man, not some Bible character made up to look real good. I mean, he's a real man. This guy's saying, I, I'm still. He could give his pedigree. He did his schooling, where he came from. And then his spiritual transformation, his insight, claiming visions. If we call it out-of-body experiences. I don't know if I was there in body or in spirit. This guy was on that. He was good. And he still made the claim, not that I have attained everything, but I still reach for the mark. I still got some ways to go. To do what? Add to my resume? Make myself look good? No. To be more like him. I want to tell you, on my very best day of living for God, I still got plenty of room and plenty of ways to go to be more like Him. When I've prayed my most consistent, when I've gotten to the Word, I still got a whole lot of growing to do to become more like Him. And unfortunately, what we've seen, we can probably all identify with it, tell a story about it. I can. The older I get, it's sad, sad, sad to say. And I, I'm careful, as Paul said, he, well, that is, we've seen people, unfortunately, we all seen it. People walk away from the truth. People no longer, and I, I can't help but think they complied for a while. They got to identifying for a while. But somewhere, how many you know what I'm talking about? Maybe kids raised up in church and they, they, in the teen years and 20s, they just slide out. Why? Somewhere, you did everything you knew to do. And man, there's no, I, I wish. I got a 13-year-old, 10-year-old, and a 3-year-old. My 13-year-old daughter is my keyboard player at our new church, and she sings. 13. And she leads the service sometimes by herself. And her and another girl switch out, 28-year-old. My son... As a drummer, I was a pretty good drummer until I lost my, my good hand. But I could still, I played, I played one hand for a couple of years, actually. And he's a good little drummer. He's my, he's my drummer. And my youngest boy is the problem child during church. <laughs> he runs around, has no, no regard for things of God. You know? <laughs> he's three. He's excused from that for a while. But you know what? <laughs> I cannot believe. That the prayers I prayed over my kids at night when they were my son, my littlest boy's age at three and two and six months, it, it was so hard to think about them ever not being in the church. I'd pray they love going to church, and they still do now. But I, 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 I hope I'm real enough to understand this. They're probably still in the compliance stage, perhaps maybe in the identification stage. They've yet to find them own selves completely. My daughter's going into eighth grade this year to new school. My, 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 my boy also new school and faces new challenges and faces new pressures and, and, and they only get rougher. And, and 
adults, how many, it's not the exact same pressures and challenges and, and peer pressure, but it never really stops. Would, would you say amen to that? It, it, it's still always there. And I would probably say that they're in the compliance, maybe identification, but if we were to walk away and just say, we don't believe in this, we're not going to do this, in time they'd probably, be, they'd probably be okay with that because they've not internalized it yet. So all I can do is pray, and I do, God, I pray, Jesus, that they will get this truth inside of their hearts to where when they're 20 years old, 25 years old, and I'm being very transparent, God forbid, if I ever walk away from your truth, I pray this now, and I don't know if it's the right way to pray it, but God, if I ever get wacky and lose my mind and walk away from you, may my kids still say, it's not about my dad, it's not about my mom, it's not about the group, but I've internalized this all for myself. My mom and dad, born and raised, I was in church. They both came. My dad was raised up in church. His mom was in the church. His dad came but never got in. My mom got in prior to her sisters and her mother. She won her mom. I'm just about second generation, two and a half if we count my grandma coming in after my mom. My wife, though, her mom and dad both came from ministry. Those parents came from ministry. She's, this is just it, just about, you know, but you know, it's not about now my mom and dad. If my mom and dad, who I esteem, who I've watched live for God, serve God, be loved to the pastor in the church and work many hours at home and on the job and at church, if my mom and dad were ever to say, Jace, we, we just don't believe you got to do these things. We just don't think it's all. I tell you, I wouldn't say, oh, really? We're, we're done with that? Oh, oh, well, okay. I, I hope I can say I've got this thing internalized. And at least enough. While I still want to go further, I got it internalized enough to where it's not about what my mom says, not about my dad. If the church goes a different direction, I know well enough to say, I don't got to be that loyal to you. I'm loyal to God. I know who my power holder is. Though I esteem my pastor and I'm loyal to my church, it's not even about the church and the pastor, it's about the truth of the word of God and the power holder revealing that to me. Come on. Right right now, step out. Come come seek the Lord right now. I, I feel I, I'm done. This is the altar call. You got your hands raised. You got some tears flowing. If it's intercessory time, perhaps, whatever it might be. Somebody get a hold of God. Make it the prayer of your own self, God. Lord. May I internalize this, Jesus? May I get a hold of this, God? In the name of Jesus.